No major Christian tradition today, no major Christian denomination today is growing. No major Christian denomination today in America is growing. That should be alarming. That's kind of mind-boggling if you, if you think, think of it like that, that no major Christian denomination is growing in America today. Now, there are a few exceptions here and there. And, and, and when a high schooler graduates high school, there's a period of 18 months that in that period of 18 months, 50% of them will fall away from their faith. And of that 50% that falls away from their faith, four out of five intended to stay connected to their faith in Jesus. So there's obviously a problem. And the question we have to ask is, why is that the case? And over the course of the next six weeks, as we talk about growing young, another way we could call this series is growing together, we're going to realize that the church is much more than just one demographic of people. The church, in fact, is made up of all ages, of all ethnicities, coming together in an intergenerational sense. And this book, Growing Young, that, and we got, we're creating videos for all the Ohana groups, and which start today, and, and, and this, this book comes from Fuller Theological Seminary, and the main author is Carapel, and they looked at six main things that churches that are growing young are doing, and all of these six um, actions, these six things that the churches are doing are all biblically based, and they're all found in the different principles of Scripture. And, and, and in fact, the, the, the book that we're studying, Christianity Today, has named the book Growing Young as one of the six most important books for church leaders. As we look into the next five years or so, what I see and what I envision is I see generations coming together where the older generation is connecting with the younger generation and the younger and the older generation knows the names of a lot of these students. Like all the students that were there, what I see in the next five years, three years, is that, is that we will know their names and we will have a relationship with them and we'll say things like, hey, I watched your baseball game. It was amazing. You did a great job. Or is that your basketball game? And I envision this type of stuff because we have a whole bunch of amazing uncles and aunties here, don't we? Yeah. And so, and so as we look in the future, that's what we see. Now, now, one word of caution, though. Sometimes we think that this is going to happen overnight. Like all of a sudden, it's going to be like this most amazing thing where, you know, where everybody is doing everything perfectly. But this takes time because we got to develop those relationships. So nothing happens overnight that's going to be long-term and successful. This is going to take time, and it's going to be a fun journey together. But the problem is, is that young people are leaving the church. The problem is young people do not see the value in church across America. That is a problem. And the beauty is, in the next six weeks, we're going to look at some key biblical principles of what 
churches are doing in America today that are growing young, that are growing numerically, that are growing spiritually, that are connecting with all generations, older generation, younger generations, connecting together as a true ohana. So let's look at why churches are maybe not as relevant as they used to be. And I want to use a unique story. It's in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. And it's a, it's a, it's a really unique story. And, and if you haven't read this and you think I'm making it up, I'm not. It's in the Bible. If you ever want to read just crazy stories, just read the Bible. Because this is one of those crazy stories. So in Acts chapter 20, Luke writes... On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. So he was planning leaving the next day, so he figures he better stay and keep talking. You all love when preachers do that. So, so there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. His name was Eutychus. Say Eutychus. That's just a funny name. Who was sinking into a deep sleep. And Paul talked on and on. Now the Greek in this, I don't, I've, I've forgotten most of my Greek that I, I, I took when I was in Bible college. But, but, but the, 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 uh, the intent here is like he talked on and on and on and on and on. You get the point? So he just kept going. And, and, um, and so he talked on and on. And then... When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. It's in the Bible, folks. <laughs> Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. So, now, he preached at midnight, this guy died, he brought him back to life, and he thought, hey, that's my ticket to talk for another five more hours. That's a, it says it right there. And so he left. The people took the young man home alive, and they were greatly comforted. And, uh, and Eutychus was a young man, maybe he was a teenager, and he was doing the most stereotypical thing a teenager was, would do. Sit in the back. Maybe he was bored out of his mind. You know, after someone's lecturing for a long time, man, I, I did a lot of schooling. Uh, there's some professors I'm just like, get me out of here. And maybe Paul wasn't on his game that night. I don't know. But, but Eutychus is in the back, you know, his eyes start to get heavy. And then all of a sudden, he falls out the window. And then Paul comes and revives him and brings him back. But let's look at this story just in a metaphorical sense for a moment, if you permit me to. I am fearful that the church in America functions much like our story in Acts chapter 20, where young people are sinking into sleep, that they are dying in our churches, that they are not fully engaged. They are not doing anything. That's churches all over America, that they are not doing anything to connect with them. That is my fear in churches all over America today. But the promise that we have in this story, in a metaphorical sense, is that there is hope. 
Because of Jesus, there is always hope. And it's interesting, the fact that Paul came down, he prayed for Eutychus, and Eutychus came back to life. And there are churches that are dying all across the United States. Churches are closing their doors left and right, left and right, left and right. And churches are dying. But because Jesus rose from the grave, he can still bring life into churches all over America. And what we're going to do is focus on our church, our local church, on how we could bring the resurrection and the hope that we have to all generations. Because if we reach the 20-somethings, guess what? We're going to reach the 70-somethings. Thank you. <laughs> because youth bring vitality. Youth bring energy. Youth bring excitement. And, and, and when this could come together, you bring the, 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 the lack of wisdom with the youth. You know what I'm talking about? Because you, the, you, you say some crazy things. I mean, I say crazy things. And then you bring the wisdom of older people. That is a recipe for success, and that's what we're talking about. And so as we look at this generation, as we look actually at our church, I see so much hope. Because I see amazing men and women who have a lot of life experience and who are ready to connect with this younger generation. And my hope is that through Ohana groups and through, through conversations and through these organic methods that just kind of come up, that you're going to start seeing that you have a huge part to play and that you have a voice to be heard within the younger generation. And in fact, after second service today, we're bringing in Young Life to talk about that very thing, how can we connect with this younger generation? Then I'm going to be talking to the youth with uh, the idea of how can we talk and connect with the older generation. Then we're bringing everyone together. Sound like a pretty cool event if you ask me. And, um, and, and that's what we want to do because our church is going to continue to grow. We're already growing and we're going to continue that, 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 that path. So as we talk about growing young or growing together, remember this. It involves everybody. Nobody's left out in this. We need everybody. And so, so this approach we're taking in the six weeks is a holistic approach. T today we're talking about connect with young people. Next week we're talking about feel a warm community that when people come on our campus here, that they feel loved and welcome and cared for. And we got that pretty much nailed down. And then, and then the week after that, we're talking about taking Jesus' message seriously. Churches that grow young, they have a commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Isn't that amazing? And then we have the, the fourth week, Unlock Keychain Leadership. This is where we empower youth to serve, empower them to do different things. We have some high schoolers in the youth room, in the, in the, in the tech room there. We got different college students and, and youth all over doing different things. And we're going to start seeing more and more and more of that. Because a lot of you have these skills where you can empower young people and unleash them. And then the fifth week, we're going to talk about be the best neighbors. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. What a great example for you and I. When you and I serve others, young people go, wow. There's something to be said about that because that is faith in action. And young people want to see faith in action. Week six is we're going to prioritize young people and families. So here's a definition of growing young. Churches that are, churches that are not shrinking. Churches that are not shrinking and aging but are growing. Involving young people ages 15 to 29, which brings overall vitality to the whole church. Energy, vitality, excitement, ideas, connection. And the healthiest churches, 
the healthiest churches are intergenerational. The healthiest churches are intergenerational. There's something to be said about young people learning from older people and older people learning from young people. Now we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 47. It's a passage you may have heard, but I'm going to, um, um, after I, I read it and after I talk a little bit about it, I'm going to, I'm going to highlight some reasons of why this passage in Acts chapter 2 is so important on how we could learn from connecting with young people. And so let's look at the passage and let's see what it means for us connecting with young people. Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs by the apostles. All the signs, uh, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give every, anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In this short paragraph, it gives a summary of what the Spirit was doing amongst the early church. Now remember, Jesus died. He rose again three days later. He was on earth for 40 days, revealing himself like nine different times to different people and different groups of people witnessed the resurrected Christ. And then 10 days later after that, after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 talks about that. So this is part of that, that Pentecost event that, and, and shortly after where Peter is talking about what the early church is doing. And here's what he says. He says, first, there was teaching. The early church, the apostles were big on teaching. They would teach from the Old Testament. And, and I would imagine they were teaching a lot about the prophecy that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, the one that was prophesied. And here's why. And I'm sure they would tell stories about Jesus being dying and rising from the grave. Tell stories of how they saw Jesus die and rise from the grave. Show, share their experiences with the resurrected Jesus. That must have just been an amazing time. But there was teaching. Second, there was fellowship. Fellowship means that they were sharing material goods as well as spiritual wealth. They were sharing their possessions and goods. Imagine the enormous needs. We talked last week about Simon of Cyrene, who was from a country in Africa, came down. You know, he was a pilgrim that came down to be part of the Passover. He didn't intend to carry the cross of Christ, but a soldier said, you're carrying the cross of Christ. And then we hear about Simon of Cyrene, I think, two other times in the New Testament, which tells us that he probably left his home in his country in Africa to live there with the early church. Not only that, but think about the Romans who accepted Jesus as Lord. Imagine going, a young person going to their mom and dad and saying, I think Jesus is my Lord. And they said, no, 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 Caesar is your Lord. Remember the Roman centurion after the death of Jesus? He said, surely this is the Son of God. And then, and then imagine being an early Jew 
where, where the Messiah, they, a number of them didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, but a Jew would come home and say, you know, Jesus is my Lord. And they said, no, Jesus isn't your Lord. He isn't your Messiah. And they said, yes. A lot of times they would kick them out of their homes and they would abandon them. And then they would leave home with nothing but the shirts on their back. So now they come to this community, this young community. And talk about meeting the needs. Homeless, no money to their name, no inheritance, left in disgrace, but yet the church was there to build them up. The church was there to say, we are here for you. And I imagine there was young families that came. I imagine that there are people that came from all over the world, just like different countries in Africa, like uh, Simon Cyrene, the surrounding areas, and they started to live there. So all of a sudden now, they were sharing the things that they had in common. And then, and then they're sharing everything that they had. So how important would it have been for the early church to say, we are here for you? We are going to be your family now. We are your spiritual family because you are now created. You've always been created in the image of God, but now you've come and accept Jesus as Lord. You are family. They're given clothes. They're given food. They're given teachings of who Jesus is. And they start to develop lifelong friendships. They start to develop community. And in this community, you have kids. You have teenagers. You have young adults, you have young professionals, you have mature adults, you have everyone in between. You have the sinners, as the Bible would call them, right? As the Pharisees and religious leaders would call them, those sinners, they were part of this community. And what we see is all of these people, different ages, different ethnicities, Jews and Gentiles now living together. That was like, boom, you didn't do that. Now they come together because of the unifying act of the cross, and they're sharing things, and they're building one another up, and they're caring for one another, and they're saying, we support you. You are our family now. So we're talking about a community with young people and a community with older people. And the people that came... They met their needs. What a great place to start with connecting with young people, meeting their needs. This past week, we were invited to the University of Hawaii to speak at um, uh, Crew, um, Crew's last event. Crew used to be called Campus Crusade for Christ. It started in the early 1900s. And, um, and, and so, so I came and spoke, and I brought a number of the, the praise band. And it was an amazing experience. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun, and it was it was so much fun being back in that college environment and um and and what happened was at the end one of the leaders says like yeah there's this couple um and they're not connected to a church i'd love to get them connected with you i said hey i said if they're serious we'll we'll take them out and we'll even buy them lunch i figured you know the least we could do is meet their needs by buying them lunch because who what college student doesn't want a free meal so i figured let's start there let's start with the free meal you know let's go <laughs> get a zip pack or something. I don't know. Um, so uh, in this community, the believers knew their identity. In this community, they knew their belonging. In this community, they knew their purpose. Their identity was in the resurrected Christ. They belonged to the family of God, and their purpose was to fulfill the Great Commission. But these are the very questions that every single young person has. They want to know who they are. 
They want to know where do they belong, where do they fit in, and they want to know their purpose. You know what's interesting about these three questions? We still deal with these questions. But remember being a teenager or early 20s. We dealt with these questions a lot more then than, than we do now for the most part. And so young people want to know about their identity. Who am I? Who am I in Christ? Things like that. And so let me ask you this question. When you realize that you are a child of God, when you realize that Jesus died and rose again and your identity was in what Jesus has done for you, not what you have done or what you have accomplished, what change took place in your life? They want to know about belonging. They want to know where they fit in. They want to know that they have a place. And isn't that a question that all of us have? Where's our part? You know why people fear change? It's because they feel like they won't have a place to belong. And that's the beauty about where we're going in the next six weeks. This is an emphasis. This is a, 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 you know, this is a direction we're going where everyone has a place where they belong here. So we have, they want to belong and, and, and then we have, you know, um, you know, quick thing about belonging. When I was a, a, a middle schooler, I, I, I was, uh, I just got rollerblades for the first time. You know, rollerblades, not skates, but blades. And uh, I had a hockey stick. And I knew that the older kids, the high schoolers and the college kids, I knew, I knew that they were down at the elementary school playing, playing um, roller hockey. And I wanted to play, so I went down there, and believe it or not, I was kind of nervous. And I was like a junior higher, middle schooler, and I was kind of like a wallflower, believe it or not, you know, because I'm always loud and ah, but I was kind of just like shy, just kind of just watching. One older person came to me, I don't know if he was in high school or college, but he said, hey, do you want to come play with us? You know what that did to me? It lifted me up like, whoa, I have a place to belong, even if it was just for this one Saturday, Right? I have a place to belong. Are there young people in our lives that we could bring them along and say, hey, why don't you come alongside us? Purpose. They, they want to know what difference do they make. They want to know that they can make a purpose. Because here's the deal. When, well, rather, when, 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 when I was in high school, all I wanted to do was be a professional skateboarder in college, professional skateboarder, and you've heard that story. And, and, and it wasn't until my youth pastor, when I was in high school, said, why don't you do what I do, that the light bulb went on, and realizing there is a call on my life, that, that there is a purpose in my life. Who are the ones speaking to our youth? about their value, about their purpose. Because I tell you what, it's ought to be us. Because if it's not us, there's a whole dark realm out there pulling young people away from the Lord, telling them this and telling them that. We have a responsibility as the church to come alongside young people, to believe in them, to say, you can do this, to say, to say hey, you may not have it all figured out now, but I got your back, and I'm, and I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm with the journey. I'm on the journey with you. And, 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 and if we're not doing it, other people are going to do it. And, and, and some of those people are, are bad, and, and it's not going to be a great influence on them. And here's an important idea to remember. An important idea to remember is we come alongside this younger generation. 
It is important we do not come across to this younger generation as a know-it-all, but as a friend, a mentor, and a guide. That is so key that we come to them as a friend, a mentor, and a guide. Because it's easy for us to say, you know, to my kids, you know, my kids, I'm like, listen, you do this now. Da, 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 da. And um, you know what I mean. But the point is, let's come alongside them. <laughs> let's not just tell people what to do. But let's come alongside them as a friend, as a mentor, and as a guide. And how do we come alongside this emerging generation? There's a few ways I want to share with you, but, but remember this. Do you remember a time when someone believed in you? Do you remember a time someone believed in you, maybe as a youth, maybe uh, in your profession, your vocation, maybe maybe time someone believed in you, um, you know, at home, on the sports field, whatever it is, small or, 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 or large. Let's you and I be the type of people that believe in our young people. And I'll tell you what, young people are crazy, all right? You think I'm crazy? I, mean, I worked for college for seven and a half years. That's partly why I'm crazy. <laughs> and they say the craziest things, like, oh, my gosh. And then I remember the stuff I said when I was in college. I have a file of all the times I got in trouble. And, and at, at Hope International University, where I was campus pastor, I did my undergrad work there. And the file, like, that thick. And I forgot all the different things I said. There was in there a letter that I wrote to the dean of students as an 18-year-old. Telling him that he doesn't know what he's doing and how could he kick somebody out for drinking multiple times and getting caught. I wrote a letter to the dean. That's in the file to this day. And, of course, I took pictures of everything and sent it to my friends. Oh, my gosh, guys. And I was embarrassed. Reading that now, I was embarrassed. You know, but back then, 18, I'm like, oh, I knew it all. Da, 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 da. But I always had people, even though I would say the craziest, craziest things they were still believed in me. People like Dr. Granite, who was here two weeks ago. So let's come alongside them. Number one, realize that young people are flawed like we are. Let's just say this. Everybody is flawed. <laughs> Everyone's like, amen to that one. <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. We're flawed. But yet, let's believe in our young people and, and let's support them. If you have a relationship with a young person or a family who has kids, say, hey, when's our next game? I'd love to come just to support them. And I'd love just to come and, and say, say, I care about them and, and I'm here if they need me. But start somewhere to build this relationship with ever, whatever young person that you're connected with. Secondly, young people want to be heard and empowered. We have two ears and one mouth. Mo a lot of the times we do a lot of this, and we don't ever listen. Okay, that's just me, but, <laughs> but we need to listen more and ask more questions. Our first inclination is usually to solve problems. That's more of a guy problem, I think. <laughs> we want to fix things and solve things, but yet, as a mentor, we listen and we ask questions. And we look at the person as the way God sees them, with love, with compassion. And when we put the, the lens, I like to use this illustration, like when we put the lens, like God's eyes on and all this, like I see all of you in a certain way right now, blurry. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but when we put God's lenses on, we see people clearer the way God sees them. That's what we need to do. 
It's not easy connecting with young people because sometimes they're standoffish. But the question is, is are we in this for the long haul? Are we in this for the journey? Because if we are, we're going to see lives change and you're, we're going to build powerful relationships the rest of our lives. And it doesn't matter how old you are because young people want to connect with the older generation. I've seen that through at the university, and I've seen that in all the different research stuff that I've read, and I've read a lot of research in this. Third, put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. Remember when you were in high school or college and you felt like everyone was against you? You'd walk across the campus thinking everyone's staring at you, and you had this, like, awkwardness, and you felt like everyone, you know, you just felt like, like you weren't comfortable in your skin. Remember that? Young people... Goes through that still today. Harper Lee writes in To Kill a Mockingbird, and the band and the, and the drama team could come on this note. Harper Lee writes in To Kill a Mockingbird, the 1960 classic. You never really know a man until you understand things from his point of view. Until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. You never really know a man until you understand things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. And here's the deal. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves young people. Jesus loves old people. And Jesus died to unify all of his people. Amen? Amen. Amen.